I think that's, you know, the big thing you just got to evaluate. I mean, I've done burnouts before. Um, they were, they were good. We were profitable with them, but I typically, the burnouts that I see most of the time come from wholesalers and they don't know their numbers. You know, they have never done a burnout themselves. This random house that smells like cat and, you know, who knows why they had to sell for half price, you know, now it's on the MLS. Well, they'll, they'll say, well, it sold for a dollar five a square foot and you're asking two twenty five. You are now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. That's right. You are back with the Real Estate Heavyweights, and this is Real Estate Heavyweight University, where we are taking a very deep dive into real estate, how to invest in real estate. And uh, I'm here with my good friend, Tavis Westbrook. And uh, the cool thing about Tavis is he's been in this game for a long time, and he's taught a lot of different classes. He's, he's walked tons and tons of people through this process. And so he has ways of thinking about things. And so today, what we're going to do is we're basically going to start teaching you how to filter out uh, properties. You drive by thousands of properties every day if you're out and about. Obviously, they're not all good candidates for an investment. So Tavis is going to start walking us through his big filters. What are the big chunks you can start taking off? This doesn't count. You know, don't, don't pay attention to this. Don't pay attention to that. And we're going to figure out what are the questions, how to analyze things, to where you can get down to things that, okay, now this is worth my time. I'm going to go on a site visit. I'm going to really dive deep here. So Tavis, why don't you, why don't you get us started and kind of walk through how you, you know, someone sends you, I've done this several times. I send you a text, an email. Hey, what do you think about this? Like, what are the, what are the big chunks early on that you're kind of thinking about? Is this even something I should spend my time on? Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Ashton, awesome conversation piece today to talk about when we uh, when we get a lead a lot of times people automatically want us to set up an appointment and come look at it and I'm happy to do that although I do have some major questions that I ask first um, so those top questions are typically what's the age of the roof what's the age of the HVAC system is there any known plumbing problems on the home when was the home built and is there any structural issues that they know about or previous structure things that have been done to the property? So those are kind of the main questions there. And then, of course, if we can get it, a lot of times people aren't willing to give this information yet. But um, one of the million dollar questions, obviously, is what do they want to net? And I phrase that from what do they want to net versus what do they want to sell for? What do they have for a sales price? Because a lot of times people just kind of go with the flow on what their neighbors have sold for or, you know, what they saw a house down the street sell for or maybe a house is listed for and they think, oh, well, I want that, right? They might be in a $300,000 neighborhood and saw a listing for 500000 and goes, well, I want five hundred, you know. So I think it's important to just have that conversation. And then if you can get any more information on why they might be selling – then that's going to help you know the motivation behind it a little deeper to to dive into the property. 
But those are kind of the key points. Obviously, address is the next big thing. And then I'm going to get behind a computer or make a phone call to somebody that can pull up the information for me. And the two main things that I'm going to look at is the tax rolls to see what's going on with it, uh, when the when they last purchased it, if they have a lien on it, that lien will show up as a uh, recorded lien. And um, I can get an idea of maybe what they owe on the property. That helps me at least just kind of gauge if we're, you know, what strategy we're going to go uh, about with this, right? So if they bought yeah. the home two years ago, I know they don't have, you know, a lot of equity in that property. So it may be a little tighter of a deal. And we need to kind of think high level convenience on this and, and see what makes sense and then really dive into what our options are. If they bought the home sure. 20 years ago and they have a small lien on it, then we know that we've got a lot more options to work with. So those are kind of the big things. Ashton, what do you think? Well, so a couple of the big questions that I ran into early on. Well, two, you know, I know for me, I was coming into the first the first property I looked at kind of fell in my lap. But then whenever I started becoming proactive, I was working within a budget. I knew what kind of money I had to put into a deal. And so that's one of my big filters, at least right now. You know, whenever I'm looking at certain properties, inevitably when you start getting in the game, people will start approaching you. Wholesalers will be sending you things. And you have to you have to have your own buy box um, because you there's only so you know obviously if someone called me tomorrow and had a fifty million dollar apartment complex I couldn't do that and so there's a lot of differences between a mobile home that you might be able to pick up for twenty thousand dollars and a fifty million dollar apartment complex and so somewhere in there is your is your buy box it's your sweet spot it's the it's the houses either you can afford to buy right now. It's the houses that you can effectively manage a flip with. Cause you know, for instance, early on I was looking for smaller flips. And so that was a big filter. Is this a burnout? Is this a huge, huge renovation? Then that would be something that I probably couldn't, couldn't deal with. And so those are some of my big chunks early on. Um, and I know one of the questions that a lot of people have, you know, how, how important Tavis do you think it is to be a real estate agent or, have someone that has MLS access or how do you go about that? You know, you're a broker, I'm an agent. I don't know that it's necessarily something you have to have, but it, I think a realtor is something you need to have access to as far as being on your team, having a good friend, being able to, you know, maybe they're going to list your house for you. You've, you've had a conversation with someone because you need a lot of that information on the MLS that they can sort of dig a little bit easier, you might be able to find it, but it's going to take you some time. So how, how important do you think it is uh, to be a real estate agent or a broker in order to do this? So I think it you can be very successful without being licensed if you have the right team, right? We go back into talking um, what you just mentioned, buy box, right? We, we mentioned that in one of our last episodes about buy box and defining that. And I think it's very important when you get started to and define what that looks like. And then the next big piece is building your team. And on your team, if you're not licensed, then you're going to want to find somebody that is licensed that has access to the data and understands how to use the data, right? I recently did a deal, you know, we talked about this in, in San Antonio, 
and I reached out to yep. an agent down there and they were graceful enough to help me out and give me some information. But the way they processed the data and sent it to me was completely different than the format that I typically do it in. So I had to still kind of work through the data a little bit and form my own professional opinion because their, their the, the way they presented it to me with a list price, in my, in my mind, the ARV was very inflated based on the way they presented the data. So, you know, I think it's just important to understand who your team is and not just have MLS access, but have somebody that really understands uh, how to analyze the data and, you know, leads into a great conversation that we were talking offline here, but think like an appraiser and, um, and really go into the data and, and back into it. Right. And really define it to where it makes a lot more sense instead of just taking a shotgun approach of, you know, Hey, let's look at this data and then let's use dollar per foot, you know, and we talked about that on your projects, uh, early on when you and I started really getting deep and, um, and just communicating on one of your projects. And we talked about that in pretty, pretty good depth. And then I think you had a traditional listing and we had that conversation again because you were priced really yeah. well dollar per foot, but you had some things that were holding you back on getting that property sold. Yeah. You, you have a great way of going about backing into what you think. And I think this is one of the points we're going to get to. So we can go ahead and talk about this. And I think this is one of the most important things you can do when you start looking at an investment a piece of property. You have got to start out by thinking who is going to buy this house. Because you can put all the time and all the energy and all your design ideas into a house. And if for some reason that just doesn't match who is going to be walking around buying that house, it just doesn't matter. You can do an amazing job. You can, you know, you can over rehab a house. You can under rehab a house. You could put some features into houses that are really neat, but maybe has nothing to do with the actual person that's going to be, you know, coming there. If, if it's super, uh, you know, first time home buyers, or if they're, you know, it's more of a custom home and you want some super, you know, some features that are going to go with someone who's had two or three houses. You have to know who's going to buy it. And then you have to know basically what your competition is down the street. And, and, it, and I think this is where a lot of wholesalers get caught up is they're looking at this super tight little circle of comps and you in, in talking with you, I really learned to sort of expand my, my vision of the market and the buyer. And if you're a family that has a few kids and you need a four bedroom and you just, you're telling your realtor, Hey, you know, our budget's 500,000. We kind of like this part of town. We'd like to, you know, we'd like to stay in the Frisco schools and maybe they even they have a, a high school that they like. Well, that is a huge geographical area. Typically it doesn't mean three, three houses down from yours is the only, so if they're coming into the market and saying, Hey, our budget's this, and we want to be in this high school, you may have to look a half mile away, a mile away, two or three neighborhoods away and say, if, if this family walks in, that is my competition, a half million dollar house two miles away that feeds the same high school. That's who I'm competing against. And when you start looking at it that broadly, I think it does actually impact how you're going to rehab the house, which as we're talking about today, then you're, you're thinking, okay, in order to rehab a house that's going to be marketable to this family, and I'm only going to be able to sell for 500,000, I have to be able to put $150,000 into this house, which means I have to buy it for this price. 
And so then when you're having that conversation with this seller and they tell you what their net that they need is, you know if you're even close to having a number that's going to work for them. And so you can back into it that way. Is that, I mean, is that a pretty fair way to kind of think about it right there? Yeah, I think, you know, I always start with the small, the small circle first, right? Because that's the way that an appraiser is going to do it. So most appraisers will look at up to a mile radius of like build, like year, like size. Okay. And that's what they're working within. Now I typically try to go tighter than that. I start with a half a mile radius because they're not going to necessarily cherry pick. If you have a house on the same street in the same subdivision that is apples to apples and it sold a significantly at a, a significantly less number than what you're trying to achieve Unfortunately, that may end up being a comp, right? They're not going to go outside the subdivision right. and down the street and cross a major road to pull a comp just because it's a higher number to compare it uh, to where you sit, right? They're going to use that tight radius. So I typically start tight. Again, I start with like 90 days, half mile radius versus a mile radius if I can. And try to look at what the average is doing in the neighborhood and kind of start there. And then I can cherry pick. Okay. Here's, here's uh, a comp that's 2,300 square feet. Our subject property is 2,200 square feet. How many properties are selling over 2000 feet, you know, and then I start kind of picking and choosing, you know, those comps to support it. Um, and then once we kind of get that dialed in, then I am going to take a broader view and think and then put my buyer's hat on and think like a buyer like you were talking about and try to look at it as a broader area and go, okay, what's the average price point in this general area in a two, three, four mile radius um, when somebody's saying, hey, they want to be in Plano or they want to be in Carrollton and try to look at what your competition looks like and you know, what's on the market? Is there a lot of inventory? Is there a lack of inventory? Has there been a lot of solds lately? You know, what's kind of the average, just to give you an idea of how you're going to fit when people start looking for property. And I think that's, yeah. you know, very important to kind of see those, those demand schedules, you know, especially if you have something that is a little bit more unique or, you know, in your case, like Polk, for instance, was on a busy street. It was a two-story home, mm -hmm. you know, and most of the comps over there were one-story homes in an interior lot, and you were on a busy street. So anytime you have any of those things, right. you have to kind of start thinking outside the box a little bit and try to go find those comps that are going to support it a little deeper. I got a lead today on yep. a property that was in Prestonwood, and great schools over there, Brentwood Elementary, I know it's a hot spot. Their numbers can be all over the place over there. It's 2,500 square foot home. And you got a couple comps that are 800 plus. Uh, but for the majority of the, the comps, they were sitting in the 700s uh, or 650 to 700. And so I had to take more of a conservative approach and back it down and say, okay, let me try to look at like 700,000 and then work my numbers backwards from there, especially because it backed up to Hillcrest, right? Backed up to a really busy street. And I went searching to try to find other comps in there within the last 90 days that backed up to Hillcrest. Now, I didn't go all the way back 120 days because all I was trying to do is do a quick search and just start having some general conversations. This was with an agent that gave me the lead. 
And I asked them, what does the seller want on that? And their response was, well, they're just kind of testing the water, seeing what their options are. So I was able to kind of back it in, do my math on it and say, hey, I'm probably going to be somewhere in the low 400s on this house. Right. And that's my way of just kind of testing the waters. If they come back and go, that's a little low, but they, they're okay in the 400s or maybe they're around 450. Now we're close enough to go sharpen the pencil and go walk it and check it out. Sure. Now, some of you listeners may yeah. be listening and saying, hey, you're talking 700 to $400,000 purchase. That's $300,000, right? That's a huge spread. But keep in mind, cost of renovations have gone way up. So I'm running this thing based on what I know that we're going to have to do in order to get this property in the condition that it needs to be in, uh, in the 700s to $800,000 range, we're going to be spending probably 50 to $60 a square foot at 2,500 square feet, right? So that number starts creeping up to 125000 to $155,000 really easy. So now if you just do the quick math on it, you know, you're 700000 times 5% because we're licensed agents, you know, that's like 50, 55, 56, or 55 to $60,000 right off the top. So now you're cutting it down to like 650, you know, 650 minus your 150 is putting you at basically 500,000, right? So now you're 500,000 to 400,000. That's your yield now that you're looking at to make a profit, okay? So that's mm -hmm. how fast the numbers can be eaten up in the cost of doing business, right? I think it's a uh, you know, it's just important to kind of know what you're looking at. And in some cases, you know, we might miss that window. I mean, a wholesaler may look at it and say, you know, hey, this thing can sell for 800000 We've got one comp in here that sold for 800000 right? It was tricked out. They might have spent $200,000 on the renovation on this thing. And then they're going to work backwards off of the eight hundred, And now they're probably looking at trying to buy the thing in the 500s, right? Well, the seller's probably a lot happier with that concept of buying it in the fives. But I think it's very important right now, especially not knowing what's going to happen in the next 120 days. And you're talking getting into a tier two project, a tier two project being, you know, you're most likely going to be updating electrical, plumbing, HVAC, moving walls, blowing out the kitchen, custom cabinets, all new windows, all of this crazy stuff. And you do that you know, it's not going to happen in 90 days. That's going to be six months to nine months right. project, right? So you really have to think conservatively down the road because that comp that you had that just supported you for 800,000 isn't going to be there, right? It's going to be a year old comp maybe at that point. So you really have to kind of go into it also thinking, you know, is this look like it's going to sustain itself for another six to nine months that way? Yeah. So to kind of round that out and, you know, I think, you know, at some point I would love to do some actual, you know, looking at some comps and figuring out how uh, some values of houses. But just for the sake of today, <clears throat> we got a little bit more time. We're going to talk about how, how we're filtering. So, you know, kind of to boil that down is when you're filtering, you have to know who's going to be buying it down the road. But you also have to know the values of what's down the street because it goes both ways. For instance, when I was selling my last flip, the agent pulled some of the lower comps that were super close. In my mind, I wa it wasn't a comp. But for her, it was half a mile away. 
it was, you know, this similarity. And so that's what she's going to use. You have to kind of see the future too and know, well, yeah, this really random house down the street sold for crap money and they can use that and try to argue, well, this is why yours, and they will use price per square foot. This random house that smells like cat and, you know, who knows why they had to sell for half price, <laughs> you know, now it's on the MLS. Well, they'll, they'll say, well, it sold for a dollar five a square foot and you're asking two twenty five, and they'll try to beat you up that way. So you have to just know that. So that's a filter. You just know that that's a filter. So, um, what are some of the other big filters that you're looking at? Are, are you, do you, are there certain types of renovations that you kind of steer clear of? Like, do you ever steer clear of burnouts? Do you steer clear of swimming pools? Um, you know, I know certain, I would imagine like uh, houses that are on extremely busy streets that, you know, might be a real hard sell or maybe a really bad school district or so, are there things like that, that you, you kind of immediately say, look, that's just not really for me. You know, I think it's, it all comes down to, to knowing what you're up against and just looking at, you know, looking at the numbers and looking at the PIA factor, <laughs> the pain in the ass factor. I think that's, yeah. you know, the big thing you just got to evaluate. I mean, I've done burnouts before. Um, they were, they were good. We were profitable with them, but I typically the burnouts that I see most of the time come from wholesalers and they don't know their numbers. You know, they have never done a burnout themselves, so they don't know what's going to happen, um, and what it's going to truly what the numbers are to rebuild that property. Right. Hmm. That's where, you know, you just have to really, if you don't have the experience yourself, you need to reach out to somebody that does and you need to get a real evaluation right. because properties like that are just very unforgiving if you get into them and they've already got a target on their back because the city already knows about them. So you're not going to get in there and get away from not doing permits, right? Uh, and then your neighbors know about the property. So you don't want to do that property and cut corners. You need to do it right because even if you do it you know, decent. And then they, you know, the neighbors are going to talk about it. They're going to talk about what happened in that house and, and why it mm -hmm. caught on fire. Was it, did it get blown up? Did somebody try to commit suicide? You know, we've, we've been in that situation before. In fact, I've, I've bought a home, mm -hmm. you know, years ago that the guy blew himself up in there trying to, or he committed suicide. And wow. we knew that that was going to be a stigma left with the property, you know, and we scraped it, or I, I helped facilitate at the time. I, it wasn't my deal. It was an, an investor's property. But uh, we scraped it, cut the slab, and then built it all new. And, of course, mm. it, it was a news article at the time, right? So we knew the public would know about it. And there was a couple <laughs> people that just couldn't get on board, and then there's other people that did, and the, the property sold. But you had to know all those things going into it, right? So... It, it really just, you got to make sure you know what your numbers are and work it backwards and make sure that, you know, you're buying it deep enough to where it's going to make up for the unknown, the unknown scenarios that you're going to be up against. So I don't think there's anything that necessarily I would technically run from. I think that if it's something I don't want to personally do, then I'll look at wholesaling it. You know, which I've done that in the past three years. I've I've had some big projects. Uh, one was actually a burnout, and I ended up wholesaling it. But I knew my numbers to buy it deep enough to where, you know, again, 
the investor still made money. I made money. The seller made money. Everybody's happy. But it's one of those things that if you get somebody in there that doesn't know what they're doing and they start talking big numbers, like, for instance, this was a property that I think ended up selling in the $600,000, $700,000 range. And it, mm-hmm. uh, I think I bought it in the low hundreds, maybe 140-ish, 150-ish or something like that. But I knew that it was going to take probably two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000 to rebuild this house. And fortunately, in that case, I was able to get with the, with the lead and the seller and make the deal work uh, without getting a lot of other competition. And the other competition would have easily been in the two, you know, two hundred thousands, three hundred thousand dollar range, you know, just throwing out crazy numbers because they don't really know what right. it takes to rebuild the house. You know, it's just really important to have your team built up and then you know, know your know your skill set, you know, as we talked about earlier. I mean, on the other hand, you're never gonna know the next journey until you cross that path. You know, I mean yeah. in the very beginning I was doing tier one stuff, right? And then tier and then tier two stuff and then tier three you know, it was getting outside the walls, adding additions. And then it got into like the tier four class that I would call, which is scraping and building. And I had never done it before I did it. So it's not to say that you can't do it. It's just saying that you need to kind of have enough information to where you make an educated financial decision to, to take the risk and, and give it a shot. I think that's what's important. Sure. And I've seen other people do it before me that had bigger balls and got in it and did well. And then, you know, that was the person I was calling going, Hey man, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what did you learn on this? What did you do? And and what can I learn from you to, to, uh, to do the same thing? Well, I'll, I'll kind of wrap us up a little bit today and tease a little bit what we're going to talk about in the future. So these, these, uh, Real estate heavyweight universities, they're going to be kind of quick hit, deep dives into how to invest. And we're starting with flipping. And Tavis has over 20, about 20, 20 years of experience flipping houses, over 200 houses. I've got four. I'm, I'm working on number four. So I've got a lot of questions. I'm still learning. I'm, I'm figuring out, like he's talking about, figuring out what you're good at, figuring out what you like. Me personally, I work full time with a W-2. Plus, I'm trying to do be a realtor. And there's certain limitations for me. My buy box, I tell most people I'm looking, I need to be able to drive to the house and check on it. I still like to do that. I, I can't do the distance thing. Maybe at some point I will be able to, and it might be actually be beneficial. Who knows? But I like to go by and check on things. And so that for me, there's a circle around my house that I draw and say, look, I can't get there under 45 minutes. I, you know, my strengths are different than yours. Your, your time frame during the day is going to be different. Your resources and, you know, maybe your father-in-law is really great with framing or something or a painter. And well, you've got a great advantage. Take advantage of that. So I think the, the basics is, you know, find your buy box, find your team, fill the gaps. You, you know, you need a, someone that can help you estimate, which we'll get into estimating. You've got to have someone with some construction knowledge that can help you get really good, solid numbers. Before, before you jump in, you've had a bunch of experience like Tavis. He knows price per square foot pretty well on what it's going to cost him to do. Me, early on, I was relying on a general contractor. You know, So find a GC or find someone who can walk a property and give you some good 
numbers. You got to get in a relationship with some sort of a realtor or broker to help you do some good research. You have to figure out your financing. So, you know, you either need to be talking to your bank or hard money. Uh, you got to figure that out. And then once you start piecing those things together, like you can pull the trigger on a property. You know, maybe you, you start small and you do a tier one that's close to your house that you can kind of wrap your arms around 90% of the project and you start there. Or maybe like Tavis said, you just kind of dive face first into something and figure it out as you go. I would say the more risky you get, the more headroom you need on your ARV because it's going to go wrong. It's going to run long. You're going to spend more money than you think you're going to spend. So Tavis, do you have any uh, final thoughts on that? And what I'm thinking is maybe next time uh, we're going to get into, uh, we can talk a little bit more about the estimating because once you're talking to your buyer or your seller, you've got to go to them with a really, really good knowledge of what you're going to have to put into the house. So next time what we'll do is we'll, we'll dive even deeper into how do you start estimating the, the checklist of, okay, roof, AC, flooring, level one, level two, level three, four, all that. So you can have a really solid number going to that seller and that's how you can back into your offer number. So that's what I'm thinking. Tavis, you got any final thoughts for us? Yeah, I think, uh, I think going into that next time is, uh, is, is a great thing to cover the, the tier schedule. And because again, that's something we can get off a phone call. If they start telling us how bad the property is, we get a pretty good idea of, of what tier it needs to be in. And then, um, we can dive into kind of those cheat codes or what those dollar per foot ranges are to get a a pretty good idea uh, going into that property and doing that quick math. Like we talked about earlier today on that example that I gave you guys. So yeah, looking forward to, uh, talking about that one next time. And, uh, we enjoyed, uh, talking to you guys today. All right. Well, if you have a house that you, that fits this, if you're a realtor, if you're looking to invest and you just don't know how to pull the trigger on things and you just need some help and you're in the DFW area, anywhere in the DFW area, you can reach out to us, the real estate heavyweights. I'm Ashton Hines. You can find me on Instagram. I'm the Dallas real estate guy, Tavis, Tavis Westbrook, Travis without the R. Uh, I've, I've been around him long (laughs) enough to know how he, he, he explains his name. So yeah, Tavis Westbrook, He's got Tavis Westbrook Designs. He can help you uh, lay out all the designs and the uh, the walkthrough, the CAD, um, amazing, amazing design stuff. And he can also walk a property with you and help you figure out your numbers. And I know he's ready to pull the trigger on some properties. So if you need any help in the DFW area at all, please reach out. We can point you in the right direction and we can come out to a house and try to walk it with you and you know buy it from you if you're not in a uh, position to do that. So. Until next time, we are the Real Estate Heavyweights. Thanks for tuning in.